The following is a message by Dr. Dennis Johnson from Westminster Seminary, California. For more information about this message or Westminster Seminary, visit us online at wscal.edu or call us at 888-480-8474. That's online at wscal.edu or call us at 888-480-8474. We continue our reflections on... uh the first chapter of the book of Acts, by way of starting with the gospel according to Luke, yet again. This time to Luke chapter 3, where we read of the ministry of John the Baptist. And in in Luke 3, beginning at verse 15, we read these words. As the people were in expectation and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Christ, John answered them all, saying, I baptize you with water. But he who is mightier than I is coming, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. So with many other exhortations, he preached good news to the people, but Herod the Tetrarch who'd been reproved by him for Herodias, his brother's wife, and for all the evil things that Herod had done, added this to them all, that he locked up John in prison. Now when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens were opened, and the Holy Spirit descended upon him in bodily form, like a dove, and a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased." And then to Luke 24, again, as Jesus opens the scriptures to his disciples after his resurrection, opens their minds to understand the scriptures, we read in verse 46, he said, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things, and behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. And now to Acts 1, beginning at verse 4. And while staying with them, Jesus ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which, he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, But you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. May the Lord give us insight even in these few moments as we reflect on these rich, rich scriptures. All four of the evangelists, of course, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all of them describe the ministry of John the Baptist to prepare a people for the Lord. Only one of them, John, the fourth evangelist, focuses anything on Jesus' atoning ministry. It's in John's gospel that we read that Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The other three, the synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, all, in a sense, show us John the Baptist looking beyond the cross to Jesus' ministry of pouring out the Spirit 
as we heard John announce that he himself baptized with water, but one mightier than he would come who would baptize in the Spirit, at the very words that Jesus here echoes at the beginning of Acts chapter 1. And so three of the four gospel writers want us to understand that as crucial and pivotal as the redemptive atoning death of Jesus is, for how else could John the Baptist promise forgiveness for repentance of sins, the redemptive work of Christ was not limited to his atoning work on the cross. The Messiah's mission carried on to his bestowal of the Spirit in keeping with the promise of the Father. We heard that at the end of Luke's Gospel. We hear it also here in the beginning of Acts. The promise of the Father. That's the way Jesus calls the Holy Spirit. He's the one that the Father has promised. How far back did that promise go? Well, obviously, certainly as far back as the ministry of John the Baptist... Because John promised that Jesus would be the one who would pour out the Spirit, who would baptize with the Holy Spirit and with fire. But we know it goes back a lot further than that. If we glance ahead to Acts 2, Peter will remind us that this promise of the Father was spoken through the prophet Joel. It shall be after this, or as Peter slightly tweaks the text, uh, commenting on the text, in the last days... The Lord says he will pour out his spirit on all flesh, men and women, young and old, and they will prophesy and declare the word of God. We could look at other Old Testament prophets, of course. Ezekiel 36, where God promises, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will take the heart of stone out of you and put into you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and you will walk according to my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Or Isaiah 44, verse 3, where the Lord says, I will pour water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour out my spirit on your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. The Father had been speaking this promise for centuries and centuries, and that's just a sample. The coming of the Spirit in his last day's fullness. I, I wonder if we treasure that enough, if we savor that enough, if we appreciate the gift of the Holy Spirit in his fullness to us now. Now, of course, it's not as though the Holy Spirit was not active and present in the eras of promise in the Old Testament. Obviously, he was involved in creation, as we read in Genesis 1, verse 2. We know that he enabled prophets to deliver God's word and kings to administer God's justice and priests to serve in God's sanctuary. And since we also know that Every fallen child of Adam is born dead in trespasses and sins. Any place in the Old Testament where we see people embracing the promises of God, Noah, Abraham, David, countless unnamed Israelites, any time they do that, we know that the Spirit of God had to be quietly sort of behind the scenes at work, drawing them to life and to faith. No other way for stone-dead hearts to be made alive to embrace the promises of God. But still, the Old Testament is pretty restrained in the way it describes the work of the Holy Spirit in the average believer. Not that it wasn't there, uh, that work wasn't there, not that he wasn't present, but we get a sense that we now appreciate something more, experience maybe something deeper by virtue of Christ's death, resurrection, exaltation, and outpouring of the Spirit 
certainly in terms of the distribution of the Spirit's gifts to every member of the body of Christ so that we can all participate in serving and building up the body and the mission that Jesus has given to us. That certainly is true. Something special, and that's, of course, rather than speculating about what they may or may not have experienced long ago and far away, what Luke wants us to do is to appreciate the specialness of the Father keeping his promise. Especially as we see the Spirit coming, we see emphasis on his aim to produce in us purity and his aim to give us power. And each each would be worth many meditations, but briefly, the, the Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit. He aims to produce purity. John the Baptist drew the analogy between the water that he used in the water baptism, expressive of repentance, the need for cleansing. And he also compared the Spirit to a purifying fire, the Spirit's agenda as he moves into our lives is to make us holy create holiness in us that's at the top of his agenda he means to expel from your heart my heart every impurity every form of pollution every secret stain that shames us makes us fearful of letting others in too close He means to replace all the ugliness inside of us with the beauty of Jesus. Paul writes to the Romans in Romans 8 that, as you know, in Romans 7, he describes the inability of the law to produce in us the obedience that it commands. We agree that it's good and right in a revelation of the will of God, but the law as command can't make us want to do it. And so we have this this tension, but Paul says in Romans 8 that what the law could not do because it was weakened by the flesh, our sinful nature, God has done. He sent his son in the likeness of sinful flesh for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh so that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh but according to the spirit. The spirit takes the death of Jesus under the guilt of our sin but also the death of Jesus that puts an end to the tyrannical power of our sin in our lives, the Spirit takes that death of Jesus and applies it to our hearts so that amazingly, surprisingly, now what the law righteously requires begins to appear as the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. Purity. That's the Spirit's agenda. That's what he is intending to do. Do you long for that? Do you want that holiness? Do you want him to come and radically cleanse your affections, your desires, your drives, your fantasies, your dreams of what you long for above all else? Knowing that the Spirit does his transforming power, his transforming work through means, through the word, written and the word preached and the word visible in the sacraments, do you expose yourself consistently and expectantly to these means that the Spirit uses to purify and purge us? Father's promise is that he will give the Spirit to make us like Jesus. And we know the Spirit works through his word. As we go to the word, let's go with that longing that he would purify our hearts. 
Now, the Spirit also comes to bring power, and we actually hear about that in both the end of Luke and the beginning of Acts. Uh, Jesus said at the end of Luke that the, the disciples would be witnesses of all these things that have transpired now in fulfillment of the Scriptures, and then he tells them to wait for the promise of the Father, wait until you're clothed with power from on high. Now that from on high is another allusion to one place where the Father promised the Spirit. That's in Isaiah 32. Until the Spirit is poured out on us from on high. It makes us fruitful. Your witnesses wait for the power. Acts 1.8 You will receive power when the Holy Spirit's come upon you and you shall be my witnesses. The Spirit's power by which God's kingdom will advance among the nations is the Spirit's power to enable the apostles to be witnesses and then building on that foundation of their eyewitness testimony to the death and resurrection of Jesus for the church in each generation to contend, carry forward that testimony in the power of the Spirit. The Spirit's power is not just mere military weaponry or armed forces or political persuasion or organization. It's much stronger than that. He is so powerful He captures hearts. He changes minds. 2 Corinthians 10, Paul says, Although we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh, for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but they have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy strongholds and arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to Christ. Spirit works quietly, behind the scenes. He works through the word. And his power is so much greater than any power accessible to any human authority. The Lord Christ has brought you to this place to deepen your knowledge of his grace and his glory and to hone the gifts that his spirit has given to you so that you can participate, each according to your own calling. We can participate in God's global enterprise to capture the peoples of the world by the grace of the gospel. So we treasure the gift of the spirit who purifies us and empowers us. And so we should do, as these early Christians did in response to these promises, we should do what we read them doing in verse 14 of Acts 1. All these, that is the 11, with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer, to prayer, together with the women and Mary the mother of Jesus and his brothers. What do you suppose they were praying for? Well, I think Luke 11 gives us a cue. In Luke 11, Jesus compares how we as fathers give gifts to our children. He says, no loving human father, even though we're not what we should be, even though we're evil, we would not, when our son asks for a fish, give him a scorpion uh, or, uh, or a serpent. How much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Now, the father answered their prayer decisively once for all, on the day of Pentecost. 
But it's interesting that we continue to read in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul, for example, in Ephesians 1, praying for believers that God would continue to give us a spirit of revelation in the knowledge of him, that he would, we would continue to have fuller experience of the Spirit's power. And surely we who understand that God is sovereign in creation and providence and grace need to be people of prayer because we know that nothing human is worthwhile. It's all flawed. It's all futile apart from the renewing, empowering work of the Spirit. We must be people who pray. Let's pray. Father, make us savor, rejoice in the gift of the Spirit of Christ who dwells in believers, who dwells in your church, the New Covenant community, who is pursuing his agenda to purify us and make us holy. to recreate us in the image of Jesus, the ultimate image of God. And Father, make us dependent people, prayerful people, longing for you to purge us of anything unworthy of the children of God in the secret recesses of our hearts or in our words or in our acts. And Father, empower us when we feel weak, when we know our weakness, which is Uh, so obvious uh, so much of the time. Turn us in hope and trust to your almighty Holy Spirit to empower us to be faithful to the callings you've given to us as your church continues to build on the foundational testimony of the apostles and the prophets and to extend the message of the gospel to the ends of the earth. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Copyright 2011, Westminster Seminary, California. All rights reserved. You are permitted to reproduce and distribute this material in any format, provided that you do not alter the wording in any way and that you do not charge a fee beyond the cost of reproduction. For web posting, a link to this document on our website is preferred.